and welcome to The Mock Review with Ben and Drew. I'm Ben Garmo. And I'm Drew Evans. Well, Drew, since the last time we recorded, we've had two very exciting things happen. We've had a lot more invitational invites, some really uh, crucial invitationals that, that give us a lot of great information about the fall season. And of course, we've had Thanksgiving. We're recording this episode after Thanksgiving. Uh, it's been a couple of days since I hope everyone out there, Drew, you included, and all of our listeners had a wonderful and relaxing break from the chaos of the mock trial grind. I know for me, it was really the first real weekend that I had at home in in quite some time, and it was uh, much needed and much appreciated before I get back on the road this weekend for Cubate. Uh, but Drew, since we last talked, since we had the chance to chat with uh, Ben Wallace about how things have been going on the AMTA circuit, uh, how have things been for you in, in law school and with your teams? Um, mostly just calm before the storm, I think, uh, you know, final exam time and all that jazz, but, um, definitely had some very exciting results for the Tulane undergrad team. I couldn't be more proud of them. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but, um, yeah, I think that Thanksgiving time is always such a interesting time of the mock trial world for me because it's right when regional assignments are coming out. It's when we just got GAMT results in. Um, it, it's a very like it's I think it's when a lot of teams are stacking. There's a lot going on, really. And it's it's a break, but it's kind of a, a break where there's a lot of mock trial to still be thinking about, which is the best types of breaks, if you ask me. And with uh, so many things to be talking about, one of them is, of course, the invitationals that we just got. I mentioned Gamty, but there are a couple others that we want to highlight as well. And just kind of like we did um, in our last episode with Ben Wallace, we're going to kind of go region by region. And I think the easiest place to start is in the Northeast at the Boston Tea Party. Um, so the Boston Tea Party was hosted by Harvard. And in order, the teams placing were Michigan, then Harvard B, then UCLA. And while I know we only do the top three, I just wanted to shout out that Harvard A was the fourth place team, um, kind of showing a, a pretty impressive showing from the hosts there. Um, and I think that to a certain extent, this is a funny set of results for me because we said that this was a Northeast tournament. And then I said Michigan and UCLA, which are not Northeast teams. But as we've discussed on the last episode, I kind of love when we have all these teams from across the country getting to compete together. It's something that we're going to see in a few other tournaments too, but I think it's really cool to see that. And I love seeing those teams have a lot of success there. It just means to me that it was a great tournament. And I've heard good things about it, but Ben, what did you hear about this one and any teams that you wanted to highlight? Yeah, I mean, we weren't at Boston Tea Party, but uh, we were there last year and had a great time. So I'm sure it was an excellent tournament. Very, very strong field. A lot of interesting teams, a lot of nationals teams, a lot of teams that that threaten at nationals each year. Um, I I think it's a good thing that you noted the hosts taking second and fourth, obviously, our defending national champions. And just judging from this tab summary, it definitely appears that Harvard is not stacked uh, quite yet because I see they had an A and a B and I see two big names in the awards listings on A and B folks who I think will pretty likely be <laughs> on Harvard stacked a team once they officially stack. So for Harvard to be unstacked, um, I actually saw them unstacked at mumbo. I, I judged them and, and they were unsurprisingly excellent, but to see them do well, uh, while unstacked just suggests what everybody thinks, which is that, you know, they have to certainly be your odds on favorite to win the national championship at this point, just given how much they're bringing back. You noted Michigan and UCLA, two teams that whose names came up a couple weeks ago when we were talking about our earlier season results, two teams who I think are always in the conversation, a very impressive win for Michigan here, 
They go at seven and a half, and the only ballot they dropped was a uh, tie, or not ballot they dropped, but only ballot they didn't win was a tie against Harvard B, uh, the and that was the Harvard team that came directly behind them. So I think those are the two best teams at the tournament, and uh, obviously to finish one and two is is not surprising at all. So yeah, not a whole lot else to note here. You know, a lot of very good teams. You saw three historically excellent uh northeast teams in nyu tufts and yale uh in the honorable mentions and so i think that just goes to show you that a lot of those northeast teams are are as good as they usually are but i would say harvard and michigan are the two teams in these results at least that stand out to me yeah i think i'm inclined to agree um i'll definitely say that there were a few teams there that um you know coming a long way and and didn't necessarily have quite as, as strong of a showing um I, I think that I kind of expect Miami to to end up doing a little bit better, but they always pull it together and they're always so good at regionals and orcs that I'm not even, I, I, I hesitate to even say something like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I mean, this is just a crazy strong field and to see two unstacked Harvard teams coming in um, two of the top four is, is very scary. I mean, I think we all knew that they obviously being the defending national champs, but they really weren't graduating a whole lot of people off that team, which just makes them really, really scary. And uh, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Ben, that those are programs I don't want to see anytime soon uh, in a round, but they are, they're fantastic. So it's good to see for them. But I think if you want to just move us on to the next one, I think we're good to go. Yeah. The, the other Northeast tournament that we're going to feature is, is Breck, the Breck is Breck. Brick, uh, the big red invitational classic hosted by Cornell. Uh, this tournament is back after a couple year absence, but, but traditionally was one of the strongest Northeast tournaments. And we had, uh, in order from first to third, we had Dickinson, Dillard and Wesleyan. I think this is a really interesting set of results. Uh, more, uh northeast power you know not that there wasn't enough already but nor <laughs> more northeast power but a different set of teams from what we saw at boston tea party dickinson had such a strong breakout year last year you know being in a high round in round four at nationals with a chance to advance to the national final round winning a ballot in that trial you know has had a lot of success and is really a program on the rise dillard obviously everyone's cinderella story last year you know, we, we had a chance to talk with their captain last year, uh, Amaya, and they're just such an amazing program that just clearly, you know, they're, they're doing something right over at Dillard that, that they really just caught fire and were such an incredible team last year to go all the way to nationals. Uh, and then Wesleyan, obviously, is just such a traditionally strong team, plays such a strong, clean style. Um, and so I think it really just goes to show you that when you get up to that area of the country, you just run into so many really great teams. Uh, and I have my eye on all three of these teams, Dickinson, Dillard, and Wesleyan, for all right, who's going to be the one that breaks out and maybe has a chance to, uh, like Dickinson did last year, you know, to make a Nationals run. I think all three of these teams are capable uh, of doing that. Drew, anything else that you noticed from this one or anyone else uh, in the Northeast worth uh, mentioning? Just to keep with the... Uh the idea of, of following how the hosts did. Um, I think that Cornell, the hosts of Brick, um, actually also had kind of a, a interesting weekend. They ended up going four, one, and three with three ties. I, I gotta say, Ben, I don't remember the invitational season having so many heavily yeah. tied rounds. I mean, this yeah. is really, uh, I just don't feel like you see that that often, but this was a, a tournament with a lot of ties, 
Um, just showing again how close and how competitive a lot of these rounds are, but definitely a strong showing out of Cornell. I feel like, um, you know, it's silly to say back in my day, but back a few years ago um, when I competed, I always thought of Cornell as being, I mean, not thought of, but they were one of the top 10 teams in the country. They were excellent and phenomenal. And they've kind of declined for a few years, but I definitely am hoping to see them kind of make their resurgence. And this is a result in the right direction for them, for sure, getting a total of five and a half points. Um, they were the fourth place team there, uh, just missing out on a CS difference with Wesleyan. But um, just in, in the spirit of talking about some of those teams to watch, I definitely think Cornell is one that I have my eye on as, as seeing if they can get back to, to where they were um, a few years ago. Um, ben, I'll give it back to you before I move us to the next region. Yeah, I think that we've mostly covered it. Um, as we mentioned in our last episode, there are some other uh, tournaments in the Northeast, and, and we're keeping this episode a little bit uh, abbreviated, so, so we're not going to go through every single uh tournament in the northeast you know there were several more over the last couple of weeks but we've definitely seen you know if we were to go through those results you'd see a lot of those dc maryland pennsylvania new york schools like just so many names that we've talked about in the past the you know pens and americans of the world uh who just continue to to do well and are excellent um so yeah i think that you're seeing a lot of interesting you know in some ways i think with the exception of harvard the northeast is kind of wide open there was a lot of people who graduated a lot of traditional teams that are strong but maybe still figuring out who they are a little bit and everybody to some degree is just kind of waiting for harvard to stack uh <laughs> because like and and it's like i don't even mean that in a in a like a trite way it's like they're the defending national champions and they return i think pretty much almost everyone and we're waiting for them to be what they are to see, you know, if they can, you know, dominate the the field and have a, a return performance like last year. So it feels to me like a little bit of a waiting game. And then you see teams like, you know, Michigan and UCLA, who we talked about earlier, coming into that region uh, and having success. So those are all the things that that I've noted. Anything else, Drew, in this region or I could always take us to the Midwest? No, uh, if you want to go ahead, then go take us to the Midwest. All right, perfect. Well, let's go ahead and take a look at the Midwest. And the first result that I'm going to talk about is actually one that I believe at the time we recorded our last episode, this tab summary existed, but it wasn't on AMTA's website. We did find it on impeachments. Uh, and that's the Scarlet and Gray Invitational hosted by Ohio State, traditionally a very, very good tournament. Uh, first place was Vanderbilt, followed closely by Cincinnati. And then you actually had a six-way tie at five wins after that. Um, between Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Duquesne, Ohio State, Ohio State, and Miami. So Vanderbilt went 8-0, Cincinnati went 7.5, and, and then those other six teams, um, you know, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, Duquesne, Ohio State, times two, and Miami, all had very strong performances uh, and either got a lower placement or got honorable mention. Uh, so some very interesting teams to note there. Vanderbilt, an excellent team uh, to go 8-0. It's such a strong field, you know, not surprising, but but a very, very good performance. I recall in our last episode, I think Cincinnati came up at one point with mm -hmm. some of their results. And to see them, you know, again, obviously this is this result is now about a month old. Um, and so, you know, this is not immediately what's happening right now, but still, this is not a first weekend invitational. 
and to see Cincinnati have two teams in this top group, to see Ohio State have two teams in this top group. Notre Dame had such a strong season last year. Duquesne had a really good season last year. And obviously Miami, you know, we talked about how I think Miami is pretty well known at this point for like, you know, I'm not gonna say like punting the the fall season, but they really <laughs> just like they take unstacked seriously. And I actually think it's great because I'm sure they get tons of mm-hmm. fantastic information. And there's probably a lot that we can learn from it because it's like, oh, Miami doesn't win a ton in the fall. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're third in the country in the spring. Right. And it's like, well, maybe they're onto something. Um, but uh, but to see them be in this top group and have five wins is, is certainly noteworthy as a team that's putting the pieces together and figuring out what they're going to look like. So a lot of interesting things here. The Midwest is really wide open. Obviously, this tournament, like we said, is a couple weeks ago. So you don't see some of the, you know, your Michigans, your Chicago's, your Northwestern's. Uh, but Ohio State is certainly in that conversation. Uh, and to see them have success here uh, gives us something to to pay attention to uh, for the future. Uh, the other one was Corn Shucker. And Drew, I know there's a team that you wanted to talk mm-hmm. about here. So I will just mention that the top three teams in order were Arkansas, Hillsdale, and Miami. So again, we just talked about Miami. If you think back to our last episode, Ben Wallace specifically mentioned Hillsdale as a team to watch. So they're continuing to have success. And Drew, I know you have some thoughts on the other team here. So I will toss it over to you for your thoughts on the Midwest. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'll very briefly, I think that you highlighted everything I was going to talk about with Scarlet and Gray. I think Cincinnati is really putting together one of the strongest uh, invite seasons that we've seen. Um, I'm glad you pointed them out. They're doing really well. But the team that I really want to highlight that I think is maybe the only team that gives them a run for their money is Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas is not, at least to me, not a program that I usually think of as having these dominant uh, invite seasons, but you heard us talk about them last episode, and you're going to hear us talk about them this episode. Um, I, I'm just, I'm pretty impressed with some of the results that they've started having, um, getting first here at a, as you just said, a very impressive corn shucker field um, that features a lot of the teams that we regularly expect to be those top Midwest teams, and Arkansas is coming out on top. Um, just is a very, very good sign for that program. Uh, I'll say that there are a few other tournaments that we're not going to talk about, um, but at the Blue Jay Invitational, they got second, um, and then there was the Kangaroo Brawl, um, where they got second and third. Um, This is just a team that I'm seeing in a lot of tab summaries, and I'm seeing them do really well. So that's definitely very exciting and just a team that I wanted to highlight for sure. Um, there are a few others that I'll mention at the end, um, but definitely I, I, I just I don't know a lot about them outside of their invitational results, but their invitational results are giving me a very, very good sign. Yeah. I, so while you were saying that, I went and looked up the TPR. So Arkansas is currently tied um, with Brown at 86. They've they've got about 18 TPR points last year. They got four and a half ballots at orcs the year before they got five and the year before that i think it's a hybrid it's like the when mm-hmm. they had to do the the averaging and stuff and so they're shown like about four ballots uh at orcs so it's like they're consistently on the cusp mm-hmm. and have a shot to get through but at least in the last couple of years have not uh broken through but it does at least appear last year they have their b team has two uh ballots at orcs last year and so they got two teams through so just one of those teams that Drew and I, of course, don't know a lot about. But when you when we see a name that pops up on a number of tab summaries, it's definitely something that we like to feature. Uh, so, yeah, other than that, I think that that you talked a lot about it. 
uh, Drew, I think with Midwest results, I, mm-hmm. we're going to get a lot of really good information in January. I know there are some mm-hmm. tournaments in January. Obviously, Great Chicago Fire, although that's a little bit more of a national field, but some of the Midwest powers are there as well. So just be really interesting to see uh, what happens. But I think like... You know, we talked about this before. Some of these teams, you know, your Arkansas's, your your Cincinnati's, your Notre Dame's, you know, they're the teams that a lot of times they're the other nationals bids in the mm-hmm. Midwest forks, along with some of the, you know, the Michigans and Chicago's and Northwesterns of the world. So it's really worth paying attention to some of these teams because they can certainly be relevant when we get around to to regionals and orcs season. Uh, I think that's all, all I've got from the Midwest, though. So if you don't have anything else, then I think we can go to the South. All right. I will take us down South, and we're going to go to probably the tournament that everyone uh, was thinking about, the one that uh, we talked about before, um, and that is, of course, Gamte hosted by UVA. I think, um, by all accounts, the the top invitational of the fall season, and it's uh it's one that everyone wants to get an invite to because it really is just a really well-run tournament. As they, uh, as you can see, they they had three judge panels, um, and just it, it's it's a lot of fun. So, going in order of our placing teams, we had UVA, the host school, coming in first with ten wins. Then Patrick Henry College coming in second with eight wins, and we had actually a, a three-way tie with eight wins because Rhodes College was in third with eight wins as well, and then Penn State also had eight wins coming in fourth. Um, look, you know, I think that it's funny. People often uh, joke about the whole, oh, the host team won. Um, UVA tends to do really well at Gampty, and I don't know that it is because they are the host. I think it is more the timing of the year it is right around when a lot of teams are stacking. And as many people know, UVA is stacked from the beginning. Like they, they're, they're UVA A and B. They're just doing their thing. So when everyone else is kind of stacking for Gamte because they want to send their best team to Gamte, UVA is already the polished machine that is rolling at that point. Um, and as a result, I think that they often end up putting forth really strong performances. But just to briefly highlight just how strong of a performance this was. They went 10 and two and their two losses were by minus one and minus one. Um, I don't know that you can have much of a stronger 10 and two record than that, but uh, very, very scary out of them. I mean, they just, they're UVA. They're, they're really, really good at this activity. Um, But I, you know, I think that it's funny to me that they're doing so well. And then of course the second place team, Patrick Henry, Probably the other team up there with UVA that is the, the teams that I really don't want to ever have to face because they are just so, so good. Um, and I'll, I'll briefly say that Patrick Henry went eight and four. They lost three ballots against UVA. The rest of the tournament, they went eight and one. Um, so again, two very, very good teams. Very, very scary. But then you were actually there. Um, so I'm sure you had a lot of thoughts. You had some great rounds. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about what your weekend was like there? Yeah, so first I'll just echo all your thoughts about Gamte was run immaculately like it always is. We've talked on the show about hard it, how hard it is to get judges. Charm City, we usually have three judge panels. I had to scrap and claw just to get to two. For Gamte to provide three uh, scoring judges, all with JDs, and amazing quality, right? We got 12 sets of fantastic feedback. Uh, they just did such a great job. It's also worth mentioning, you know, UVA winning Gamte, not a surprise. Um, 
I think it was a little bit extra meaningful given the fact mm-hmm. that this happened five or six days after the shooting on their campus. Uh, that was really on the top of my mind. I know it was on the top of my students' minds throughout the weekend. And so for me, I and, and we really like UVA's program. You know, we scrimmage them a lot. But uh, I very much had a mentality that if it wasn't going to be us, I wanted it to be UVA. And so I know that, that that just from seeing them and seeing how they reacted, I think it meant a lot to them. So I was really happy to see that. Also, they just clearly were the best team at the tournament. <laughs> and like, sure, sometimes, you know, I remember back in the day, we'd go to a tournament somewhere and, you know, the host school would somehow magically win seven ballots. And you'd be like, that seems weird. <laughs> um, but this is not that situation. Like GMT is run about as transparent as any tournament you will ever go to in your life. Uh, and, you know, it was just a really, really fantastic tournament. So I think UVA was a deserving winner. Uh, we had some great trials. The Penn State team that took fourth, we played them in round one. Uh, and they're excellent, right? They're Penn State, and, and they were actually the defending champions at GMT, and, and they were very, very good. That was a tough trial between two really good teams. We saw Wash U, who I thought was excellent, saw Tufts, who I thought was really excellent, uh, and then we also got a chance to see UVA B at the end of the tournament, who's a little younger, but but still very strong, and we really learned a lot about ourselves. So I think you are correct to highlight like the top three teams here. If you If you consider Patrick Henry a Southern team, which is like they're kind of borderline, but they're in Virginia. So we'll call them a Southern team like UVA, Patrick Henry Rhodes. Like those are the big names. Yeah. If you think about like, you know, the one and three have been in national final rounds recently. Two has had about as close of a of a miss for national final rounds as you can have over the last couple of years. And so like all three of those teams, UVA, Patrick Henry, Rhodes, are going to be in the conversation till the very end. I have a hunch that when we're talking about top five teams in their divisions at Nationals, two, if not all three of those teams you know, will come up. So definitely worth paying attention to. And then I think right below them, you would talk about Penn State, but Georgia. Georgia rounding out the top five, another Southern team who is always a Orcs power and and sometimes is a Nationals power, but more recently I think has really, really been a strong team at Nationals. Uh, there's something I, someone I've definitely got my eye on as well. So Gamsey was fantastic, tons of great teams. And I think that you're seeing the Southern powers, even though Gamsey is a national field to see four of the five teams at mm-hmm. in the top five of Gamsey be Southern powers tells you something about what the South is like this year. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I wanted to really quickly highlight though, um, I think that many people may remember if they listened to all of our episodes for some reason, when we talked about the board meeting, there was the introduction of the new committee on basically to allow invites to you know, try sampling new things. And for anyone that is, as they listen to the podcast, uh, checking the, the tab summaries that we're going over so they kind of see what it is that we're talking about and looking at, um, one thing that you might notice that is very unique about Gamte is the way that they give attorney and witness awards. So if you look, you'll notice that there are people with over 30 ranks or a decimal point of of a rank for witness and attorney awards. And that might be a little odd to you. The reason why is that Gamte adds the number of ballots your team took on that side to however many ranks you traditionally would get as a witness or an attorney. And this is um, their way of trying to Uh, basically promote teams that are really good and are kind of taking ballots away from each other 
or taking ranks away from each other because they're too busy winning the ballots. So I think it's a good metric and a good example of ways that we can be innovative and, and try different things. And it, it really isn't innovative because UVA has been doing that for a little while. Um, but just for anyone that's looking at the tab summary and was confused, I wanted to highlight that so people understood why it looked the way that it did. I will say that I think that there are positives and negatives to it. It's probably a debate we could have another day, but I just wanted to explain that for people because I do think that whenever we're trying to do new things, it's really good, but I want to make sure people understand why and what it is and, and exactly what's going on. Um, so I just wanted to quickly highlight that, but Ben, I, I'm, it sounds like you had a great time at KMT and I remember the time that I got to go there and it was absolutely fantastic. Um, so I think that with that, I, I feel like we've covered this South. I'll, I'll give it back to you if you have anything else, but if not, maybe just take us out West. So I will take us out West in just one moment. And actually this is a good segue because as I take us out West, I want to talk about two people. I was looking at the, the GMT tab summary <laughs> as you were talking about that. And of course, how could we not mention, and look, I'm sure this is no coincidence, right? But two of the outstanding attorneys are gold mock review patrons <laughs> at the end of the episode at the beginning of the episode sometimes you hear me thank and in this episode you'll hear me thank the family of daniel sosa and darius peruk both uh competitors at uc berkeley and both outstanding attorneys at gamty so folks if you're out there and you're like man how can i get that extra rank or two <laughs> no i'm just kidding i'm not even going to finish that sentence i can hear myself getting canceled as i'm doing it um but yeah congratulations to friends of the show darius and daniel and we appreciate them for their support um, all right. So had to get that in there. I noticed it as I was looking through. Let's head out west for our last couple of, of results. Obviously, as we've mentioned, there were some other southern tournaments, uh, but we're going to focus mostly on Gamtee for this tournament um, and for the, for this uh, episode. So let's talk about uh, the west. And the main one that we're going to take a look at is the Sundown Showdown. Uh, which is uh, Arizona State's tournament. Uh, they had three judge panels, which is such an incredibly difficult thing to do right now. So huge props to them. And the teams in order, and this is going to surprise everyone, were UC Irvine, UCLA, and USC, the University of Southern California. Uh, so not a ton here. Uh, you know, UCLA, I'll kind of dispatch of them pretty quickly. Turns out they're pretty good. Who knew? Um, yeah. They're, I feel like in some ways they're... Like UCLA and Miami have some similarities in that, you know, UCLA, I think, usually has a little bit more fall success than Miami. But with UCLA, the question isn't when UCLA fully stacks, are they going to be good? The question is when UCLA fully stacks, are they the national champions, right? Are they mm -hmm. going to be in that top three or are they going to be a top five team, but not quite, you know, able to reach into that absolute top echelon? That's the big question with UCLA every year. Irvine and USC, I think, are the other two teams here that are really interesting. So I'm kind of checking as I go here. Um, so you see Irvine right now. Yeah, so you see Irvine A is ranked 23rd in the country right now. And then uh, USC A, Southern California A, is ranked 36th in the country right now. Both of them were at nationals last year. Uh, it looks like both of them had pretty solid performances uh, at nationals last year as well. And so two really really excellent programs worth keeping you know our eye on just this the west is so difficult to break down both because drew and i don't compete there very often but also it's just like all these teams are good and they're gonna <laughs> beat each other up and then they're gonna all go to the same orcs and like god help me if i ever have to compete at that orcs i think i'll just retire um like they're just so good 
But I think USC has been a team on the rise. Irvine had those years where they were like the top team in the country and they're always in like the top 30 and they're always a threat at nationals. And then UCLA is, is so excellent. So not a ton of shocking news here, Drew. Uh, what do you see from the West that I haven't covered? So one thing I wanted to talk about with the Sundown Showdown, and, and this is actually on me because I was the one responsible for writing these down, so it's not Ben's fault, but they actually didn't have three judge panels. I, I was looking at the tab summary and, and I went too quickly, but I, I actually do know about this and it, they have a note and it says note middle column represents jury verdict. Each verdict oh, is worth yeah. 0.5 ballots. That's right. I and, forgot about this. And they do this unique thing, which again, to the point that I made about Gamty, I think it's cool, fun to try new things. You know, I think this one in particular has some very interesting thoughts, but the middle column is a very separate there's not a judge, but they actually got a panel of jury uh, of jurors, which I think they specifically said are regular people that do not have a legal background. And they got a jury to watch each round and and they scored it. You know, the three of them would score either, you know, one one through three. Uh, you know, they either win or lose the jury verdict and winning or losing the jury verdict was worth a half ballot more either way. So that middle ballot basically is only worth a half of the other two. Um, so just, just again, for people that are looking at it, I wanted to explain that. And, and it is not Ben's fault for saying that before that was on me, but um, just kind of, a, again, a kind of a cool innovation that they have with their tournament. And I mean, look, we were saying before how impressive it is to get three judges. They're essentially getting five. I mean, if you think about it from the perspective, or I guess some of them, I think we're only one juror, but um, in a few cases I'm seeing, when, where it looks like they had three jurors in some of those rounds. Um, so it seems like there's a good bit of, of, uh, of feedback that people are then getting of just what does a layperson think? And I definitely will say that there's some interesting rounds, if you look at it, where someone won both of the judges and lost all three of the verdicts. So, you know, definitely I, I always find things like that to be very interesting um, just from the perspective of, you know, who is 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 winning the round versus winning the ballot um, is kind of always an interesting, uh, or sorry, I should say, winning the trial versus winning the ballot. Um, just kind of an interesting added thing that that Arizona State is doing, and I wanted to highlight for them. Look, as far as the teams that you mentioned, I mean, come on, it's it's UCLA, it's UC Irvine, it's USC. Like this is this is who we expect to be really really good, and they're they're still really really good. Um, I will say that um, I'm kind of still patiently waiting for some of those big, you know, once everyone is stacked, you know, the Berkeley UCLA matchups, um, the Stanford UCLA, you know, those kind of crazy good teams. We did have a Berkeley team here, um, but I, I feel like there are just so many good uh, west out, you know, teams out West and, it, it breaks my heart every year, I think, when we only have one uh, West Orcs. But luckily, I think they try to, you know, kind of export a lot of that power just because it is such a, a strong region, but a very, a very spread out one, to say the least. So I feel like we've mostly covered this, but Ben, I'll give it back to you if you have any other thoughts about the West. Yeah, I agree with what you were just saying. I think it's always worth noting that this was the same weekend as Gamty. And mm -hmm. so, um, again, I don't know what... Uh, UCLA and Berkeley do in terms of stacking. I think the Berkeley team at, at GAMT was stacked or close to it. Um, so it's like this may not have been their top team. I don't know what UCLA does, how early they are stacked. But 
you know, for some of those truly top teams, you, you don't, some of their power might've been at GamT versus this tournament, but I'm so glad that you pointed that out about the jury thing. That is so cool. And I knew about that in the back of my head, but like, as I look at this now, I'm like, man, I might have to beg ASU for an invite next year because that's got to be unbelievable feedback, you know, to, to just get that information. And I hope I'll just toss this in briefly tournaments like this that are already doing stuff like this. If you're not already, take advantage of AMTA's innovation uh, committee that they are the innovation initiative that they created this past year. Uh, See if they'll give you some money or some support or stuff like that, because this is a really, really cool and achievable and interesting uh, thing that could just, you know, be a model for for something in the future. But I think that's pretty much it, Drew. I know you had a couple of teams that you wanted to mention as we get towards the end of this episode. So uh, aside from who we've already talked about, you know, who's standing out to you? Okay, so I already mentioned Arkansas, but I also want to add, and this is actually in the right region, and it's Oregon. So we didn't talk about uh, the other main um, West Coast uh, invite because it actually was posted a little bit later. And again, we're, we're kind of not trying to run through every single invite that's happened, but um, Mocktopia, Oregon got first in. Um, and to be clear, they went 8-0 and with a 21 CS and for all of the rest of the nerds out there that know what that means, that means they were three off from an absolutely perfect showing where the teams that they beat beat everyone else. Um, what this does mean is that they were the absolute top team. The second and third place teams there were both the UC Irvine teams, both faced Oregon, and both got swept by Oregon. So look, Oregon is a team that kind of very similar to Arkansas is a very consistent make it to orcs do pretty solidly at orcs, but just doesn't, you know, doesn't make it to nationals and doesn't break through. But I wonder seeing such strong results from them. There are a few others that we talked about um, in the last episode where Oregon was doing very well. You know, they're just a team that again, I'm seeing on a lot of tab results. And to me, when you're starting to have a lot of success at the invites, if you can translate that to success at orcs, you know, that's how you become a nationals team. So Oregon is kind of my my West Coast team that I'm kind of keeping an eye on. And then last, I, I have to shout this out. Um, as many people know, um, this year I've started helping out the Tulane team. And while I will admit that some of our other coaches are are doing amazing work as well and probably are much more um, of the credit is due to them, um, but really, I couldn't be more proud of the Tulane team that, that recently just went out to Fordham um, and to their tournament, and they got first at that tournament. They went 7-1. and one. They beat Columbia and both the NYU teams that were there, and uh, it is just beyond exciting. Um, really, really thrilled for them, and I'm hoping that Tulane can be a team that, that we're keeping our eye on. Um, <laughs> I think that they're very, very good, and and I like to think that they're decently well coached at this point, um, but uh, I think that between Tulane, Arkansas, and Oregon, those are kind of the three teams that, that I'm trying to keep my eye on that are definitely from regions outside of, of where we normally get to see and um, ones that I kind of want to want to just be paying attention to. And I will briefly shout out um, again, Tulane is hosting our tournament and Arkansas is coming. So I'm going to get to see them and I'm, I'm really hoping that I'll get to watch a round of theirs because I'm really curious to see. So Oregon, if you're out there listening to this and you want to come, I would love to have all three of my, my teams that I'm highlighting come to the tournament and, uh, and then I'll get to see uh, in first person just how good you guys all are. 
But um, I think those are the teams I wanted to highlight. Ben, I'm not sure if you even had any. Again, um, just kind of wanted to, to take a second because I know that we often focus on the Northeast and even to a certain extent the South, um, as those are regions that we're a lot more familiar with. And I wanted to talk about a few teams that are more uh, Midwest, West type teams. So anyway, Ben, I'll, I'll toss it back to you. Yeah, so I don't have as as well thought out of a group of teams, but there were two teams that, that just sort of caught my attention. We've mentioned both of them in this episode, so I'll be brief. Um, and that's Wash U and Georgia. Um, we played Wash U at Gamte. I thought they were excellent. I think that they're really... I think they have a lot of room to grow still. I think like they were really great, but I feel like they're just continuing to grow into their ceiling. Every time we play them, I feel like we get smarter. Uh, we just get get better as a team. So so they're really strong, and I think they're just a team that people should keep an eye on for this year. Uh, and then Georgia, I just really feel like it's a little bit of a hunch. We haven't seen them yet this year, but they're just a team that I think plays like a really smart brand of mock trial. Um, I also think, and like, I think they'll understand, uh, you know, when I say this, like you can't, there are some teams out there, really, really great, like elite teams where you go into a round and you're like, all right, we've got to be sharp and ready to go. But I I don't know if this round is going to be a knife fight. Like, I feel like this round is going to be like a good, like a good heavyweight boxing match. And with Georgia, it's like, you got to be on your toes. There's they they'll surprise you with theories and objections and just the way that they go about this, um, they won eight ballots at nationals last year. They're ranked 15th in the country. Um, and I just feel like they're one of those teams where you can't ever let your guard down when you're going into a round with them in, in the best way possible. So they're a team that I have, I have my eye on as well, um, especially this year where I really do feel like what's going to allow teams to have success with this case is like, adjusting to the mid-year case changes, figuring mm-hmm. out what is working and figuring out how to be adaptable with how many different P theories and how many different D theories and P theories that can also be D theories and D theories that can also be P theories and being able to quickly adapt. I feel like a team like Georgia could have a lot of success with that. So those are the teams that I really noticed. Um, Drew, I want to talk for just a couple minutes about case balance before we wrap up here. Um, but so uh, good to good to move to that. You don't have any other teams you want to talk about? I, I'm glad that you highlighted the teams that you did. I think that um, I think to be fair, I think both Wash U and Georgia are teams that you're talking about almost more in a can they go from being a nationals team to a top contender dash finals contender. And I will admit that I think that the teams I'm talking about are probably more of a you know can they get to nationals? So I I, I will say that there is probably a difference. In, in the teams we're talking about, but I'm glad you highlighted them all the same. They are, are phenomenal programs and, and ones that I think very highly of as well. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, like we kind of, you know, took two different approaches, but I think that's good because we came up with two different sets of teams. So here's what I want to mention about case balance. We obviously don't have the, the case balance memo at the time that we're recording this episode. So we don't have like the full blown case statistics that the analytics committee will eventually release. But, I've noticed some interesting things. I know there's been a lot of chatter about this being a P-biased case. There was an interesting post on impeachments recently pointing out the P-bias at Gamte. We actually had a pretty intense P-bias at um, at uh, Charm City, and I know there's been one or two other tournaments that have shown that. And it seems like there's a bit of a gut feeling out there that maybe this is a P-biased case. 
my understanding is just from looking over the tab summaries, and I haven't done like full blown math on this, but I actually think overall that P bias in like ev- if you take every single trial, it's not showing to be an overly P biased case and actually may be slightly like defavored depending on which tournaments you count. But it seems like there's a growing consensus that this is a P biased case. And definitely, I feel like there's a growing consensus that in like top rounds or higher rounds where you have like evenly matched power or semi power teams, that it is a P biased case to some degree. Um, I, I have varying thoughts on that, but I will say, I think the case committee and Sam and Elise friends of the show have their work cut out for them because mm-hmm. they wrote a great case, a complex and interesting and nuanced case. And so like, I feel like you could break it pretty easily. You know, if you're like, well, we're just going to make this little tweak here, add this fact, add that fact, you know, with this year's case, because of the level of complexity and the level of intrigue, I think you have to be really careful about how you do that so that you end up with a case that's as balanced as possible uh, when we go into regionals. So I will be watching the case changes very closely. I am not expecting, and I have no insider information on this, I'm not expecting drastic case changes, both because we don't usually get drastic case changes at the mid-year and i don't necessarily think anyone feels like drastic case changes are necessary but i bet we'll get a few to try to make sure that this thing ends up as even as possible in regular rounds and in power match rounds by the time we get to regionals yeah i think that uh i'm definitely excited for those mid-year case changes i'm inclined to agree with you i don't think that they're going to overhaul the case um, in any major way. I think that in general, what we see is that they often like to save that for, you know, the the pre-orcs changes. Um, the, that's when they're going to be more likely to add a witness, change something more dramatic, add, you know, new piece of evidence. This is going to be more tweaking, changing a line here or there, um, just trying to help the bias a little bit. And I'll say, you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about a lot of that, Ben. I've... I. I think this is such an interesting case because to me, what a lot of the balance is about is balancing the the complexity that the plaintiff has to overcome of there's a lot of technical information they need to discuss and you know it's it's just tough to to show all of the 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 nitty-gritty of this case. It's a lot of technical information in that way. Um, and it's a very experty type of case, which which can be difficult for the plaintiff. But on the other hand, I think that what helps them is that um, if you just look at, if you almost approach the plaintiff as a defense, which I know you can't, but if you approach it as, well, the defense arguments kind of suck. And if the plane crashed and it wasn't for one of the reasons they've given, it's probably the pilot's fault. Um, you know, that kind of, I think, can work very well to a certain extent with just in, in terms of people thinking uh, to the point about ASU's tournament when it's a jury verdict, when they're just looking at what do I think actually happened, I think it's pretty fair for people to think about it that way and be like, okay, well, this whole engine failure or retinal stroke argument, I'm not really buying it. And so if I'm not really buying it, I feel like it's the pilot's fault. Um, that, that is kind of a, the balance to me between the complexity versus just the, I I guess that aspect of this, um, I'll admit I haven't seen a lot of assumption of risk arguments, Ben, I'm not sure if you have, but, um, I wonder if they're part of the case balance will be trying to 
kind of encourage more of the uh, other defenses and just trying to hype them up. I think that for the most part, people have been arguing um, a couple of the affirmative defenses very disproportionately. And obviously, that's not something that's necessarily included in the case balance notes, but I think that um, everyone kind of knows it. So I, I wonder if that gets incorporated into the changes. But again, I'm just I'm excited to see them. I love getting case changes. I think it kind of keeps us all on our toes and keeps the case from getting too dry. Um, so I, I can't wait to see them. But uh, I guess the only other thing that we really wanted to mention, Ben, um, is the fact that regional assignments were made. Um, I, I guess I'll, there's nothing really to talk about just yet. I will obviously we'll wait um, until we get a little closer to regionals, but um, excited uh, to finally have them out. I love getting to look at who are the teams we're going to get to be going against. Um, what are the different regions looking like? I will say that, uh, you know, it's cool to me that we're finally uh, back to fully in person and, and getting kind of the, getting back to some of the geographic uh, restrictions isn't isn't necessarily good, but uh, it does mean that you're going to get to see some of those more familiar teams for sure. But just excited. I mean, I, like I said before, at the very beginning of this episode, I think that this time of the year is so much is going on. There's a lot of stuff to be excited about, and I'm just I'm looking forward to all of it. I completely agree with you. I think some of your thoughts on case balance are are very well founded. Um, I will say on the the point about assumption of risk, I think unless the case committee can somehow make assumption of risk not blaming a yeah. dead person. You're not going to see that one super often, but I'm sure there are a couple teams out there doing it really well. Um, but yeah, as for regionals assignments, totally agree with you. I it's, it's like pre Thanksgiving, like I'm going to dig into all of this and figure out where all these teams are going. And I saw um, mock analysis posted their initial uh, breakdown of some of the regions, stuff like that. I'll take this opportunity to plug an old episode for those of you who really want to dig into this topic. Go all the way back to episode 10, which was back in December of twenty nine or 2018. Episode 10 of this podcast, we had Adam Detsky on, who is, I believe he still is at the time he recorded this, he is the AMTA Team and Feeder Subcommittee Chair. And basically that is like a fancy way of saying his crazy brain is the one that goes through and places all of these teams with lots of input and help from his committee. Um, and so I think that that was one of the more interesting behind the scenes episode that, episodes that we did early on in the show to be like, how do these results get generated? Because of course, understandably, when the results get generated, there's always a few mock trial confessions and posts that are like, you know, why is Amta rigging this for, you know, whoever and, and like stuff like that. And I think if you listen to Adam's episode, um, he explains how they rig everything for Miami. He actually went through specifically like that they have a Miami. No, I'm just I'm just going to get myself and Adam in trouble. But no, he actually goes through and really explains how they do this. So I think it was a really good episode. Um, and yeah, regionals are out. Uh, you know, my teams are have got their assignments. I know yours do, too. Mm. And it won't be long before we're doing those regionals review episodes and those orcs review episodes. I feel like this season has been flying by. I know and there's so much to look forward to. No, I mean, so true. It's, it is wild to me that we're already almost in December. Like, I, I feel like we just got the case and we're talking about it the other day. Um, it is, it's been a wild ride and, and we're kind of, I feel like this is the halfway point with the AMTA season. I don't know about how you feel about that, but like, to me, this is when we start to transition away from the invites and start thinking a little more about regionals. Um, once those assignments come out, everyone's brain, they just become focused on that. You know, we still have Great Chicago Fire and all the rest, but to me, this is like that. All right, you know, take your pause, go eat a lot of food at Thanksgiving, and then come back and get back on the grind because it's time to work. 
And uh, I, I just love it. So I'm, I can't wait to get those results in and start looking at them. But uh, definitely, as I've said, probably way too many times now, a lot of stuff that I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I totally agree. We are on the road this weekend. If y'all are hearing this episode on on Friday, uh, my team is heading up to Cubate. It's a really, really great field. We are so stoked that Cubate is back. I know Yale is this weekend as well. Both of those tournaments are huge and have so many good teams. So for what will probably be our last episode of 2022, we will have a great opportunity to look at results from two fantastic tournaments. I know there's a couple other ones happening around the country as well. And soon after those tournaments happen, we'll get those case changes we've talked about. And we will be off to the races for the holidays and for January. Uh, Drew, anything else about any of the topics that we've talked about before we wrap this episode up? Nope. Last, I'll just plug once more that I'm really excited about our tournament that's going to be the very beginning of January, January 14th and 15th. I'm excited to get back into the horrible, horrible world of running a tournament. But um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of actually be in the middle of it. I haven't gotten to do that in a few years and uh, definitely among the things that I'm looking forward to. So can't wait. And we've got a, a great looking field so far and a lot of teams that that I know and I'm, I'm excited to see. So it should be a lot of fun. But yeah, just it's a fun time of the year, Ben. What can I say? So thanks everyone for listening. Of course, before we leave, we have to thank our wonderful gold patrons who do so such amazing work in supporting the show and making it possible for us to release these episodes. Uh, the names that, that I'll mention are Don Martin, Ben Rathsom, Felix Bhattacharya, Henry Lehman, Kate Hayner-Slattery, Andrew Hinckley, Ian Lampert, our aforementioned award winners, the family of Daniel Sosa and Darius Baruch, and Mike Romano. We are so grateful to each one of you. I know our patron, Patreon and our Discord have been talking about the regionals assignments, uh, and so please feel free to, to join up either in the free or paid tier if you haven't already. We'd love to have you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's a pleasure to be with you. Until we talk to you again, this has been The Mock Review with Ben and Drew.